Hello everyone, I decided that I'm going to discuss my last times at the psych ward. This will be my last episode talking about the psych ward, because there's more for me to say. As I was in the psych ward, I was reminiscing over the times where... The thoughts of organized crime popped in my head while I was sitting on my bed in the, um, when I was in Washington Hospital Center. Washington Hospital Center had a psych ward in the, in the side or back area. That's where the institution is, is located. And I remember thinking about how in organized crime, that's the first time I thought about it consciously and not ran away from like I used to because of trauma. But anyway, the times in organized crime, I do remember that there are employees... And non-employees who will sometimes talk to uh, the the police officers. Um, and the law enforcement had unconventional ways of permitting anonymous tips and anonymous reporting of crimes because they knew that people lived in neighborhoods inhabited by criminals. They wanted to do the right thing without their lives being snatched from them, their families, their loved ones, so on and so forth. So that one, a, a couple of stories that were similar, pretty much the same story, just different people, was there were times that the police officers would buy sporting tickets It could be National Football League games or National Basketball Association games. So a couple of people who witnessed a deadly murder. I know that sounds like a um, a redundant, but I did that for emphasis so you could really pay attention audibly. They, they both witnessed deadly murder. But they were not comfortable talking to the police. And the police talked to certain people anonymously who knew that who knew that these two people saw the crime because they saw the crime with them. So the police met up with these two individuals. And they were both women. So one police officer was attempting to help one woman with, okay, I know you need to be safe. I know this neighborhood can be dangerous. I need you to do the right thing. But at the same time, I will make sure that myself, other law enforcement officials will protect you. 
At first, the witness said no out of fear and vehemently trying to get the cops away from her because she was so petrified by the concept of what if I'm seen with the police and these dudes try to do me in, meaning another deadly murder. So I remember I, I was in the psych ward thinking about this and I remember there was a time where the police, one of them with the first woman, he said, what what can I do to make you feel comfortable talking to me without you living in fear? And she said, well, I'm a Redskins fan. And this was before they became the commanders. She said, well, I go to Redskins games. And that's what makes me feel fun and feel fine. That's one of my pastimes. That's another word for hobby. In fact, you can call it leisure time, too. So the cop said, okay, I'll buy you tickets to go to three games. And so for that whole month, the cop went to three games with her. And... He bought their food and their alcohol. Nobody got drunk and nobody was binge eating. I'm talking about between those two. And the cop had his book. Should I say notebook? paper of sheets and he was writing down every detail she told him while playing the tape recorder so the reason why he did both was because sometimes tape recorders may fail to record everything properly and sometimes being at a at a public event such as a sporting event sometimes people be a little too loud and that might hurt the recording so what he chose to do with her was have both types of recording just in case that he can walk away from the games going okay every word she said came out to be crystal clear. I remember that happening. Because they told me about it. So the cop decided to record her during halftime. It's tough. It's impossible, actually, to do that detective work while the... While the game is being played, too much loudness, too much rowdiness, it ruins everything. So they'd agree, like, during halftime, he would, um, 
they were already enjoyed their food and alcohol so she's more comfortable talking to him and he's more comfortable listening so he pulled out his pencil because he might need to erase so he had he had he brought his erasers and pencils and notebook paper and he was just writing down everything she ever told him because it was basically share everything you know about the murder. That was pretty much the only question. And she had to share everything about the murder because everything about the murder answers all his other additional questions. So what occurred was each game, she rec- she told him everything. And then um, the this person told me that they were put in some kind of witness protection program. Um... That's the story I was told. Keep in mind, I was five when I was told these stories. And those two became friends. Because that's what they agreed to. Like, okay, I'm the type of person that you're my friend, but also legally I can protect you, make sure that my comrades, my colleagues who are cops look out for you too. And I remember the police giving her his um, his um, actual number to call because 911 may be too traumatic for her to call. So she, so she would call his personal number, his, his mobile phone, whenever a crime occurred. And eventually the, the neighborhood got so dangerous that she said to the cop, I need, I need to get up out of here because it's just too much, too much violence, too much murder. And it's hard to be your friend if you're worried about me being in danger. arranged for the woman to be moved into the home of someone he knew, a friend of his. So the U-Haul truck was moving her out of her dangerous neighborhood into a safe neighborhood. It was more middle-class neighborhood. Um, Not too far from the upscale neighborhood at the time. And so she ended up living a beautiful life. I mean, she um, was getting, graduating with degrees and started owning her own like hair salon business is what I was told in the streets and she was thriving you know mother of children she ended up marrying a, a nice man and um
so I then learned that the woman ended up living very well. She maintained the friendship with the police officer and um, she was forever protected by him. What happened to them, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I remember on that time. The other woman, he, it's pretty much same outcome, but the only difference was she liked to go to Wizards games. That's pretty much same story, but one woman liked Redskins games. The other woman liked Wizards games. So they both had the exact same outcomes. And those two women knew each other. They were friends as well. Um, there are police officers who wear disguises. Like I told you in the organized crime world, and I was thinking about this at the psych where you got a lot of people who they are wearers of disguises. I mean, any kind of outfit that you can think of from any kind of profession that you can think of, organized crime figures wear them all, depending upon the environment that they're in. So if they are around government workers, they'll dress like government workers and wear government worker kind of badges. If they are around downtown people, they'll wear downtown type of clothing. If they're in rich neighborhoods, they dress luxuriously. If they're in poor neighborhoods, they dress impoverishedly. If they're middle-class neighborhoods, they wear middle-class type of clothing. If they're upscale or upper-class neighborhoods, they tend to dress as if they're in Georgetown or Beverly Hills. If they are in low-income type of neighborhoods, they tend to dress the way you see people in low-income neighborhoods even slums dress so no matter they dress according to their environment but the police officers do the same thing so do fbi agents cia agents dea agents um and you see that the most in terms of undercover sting operations so that is something that does happen in that world police officers wear disguises too like, you can walk by people talking and not know that the police officer and a witness are having a conversation. You may not think much of it, because it could be you walking past a coffee shop or a restaurant or at a picnic or at an outdoor table, and you see people talking, having a good time. You don't know that the witness is the informant to the police officer but they're dressed like everybody else. There's nothing distinguishing them characteristically, not even with wardrobe. So that does happen. So you got criminals who do it for bad and law enforcement does it for good. For example, you got criminals who 
they pretend to be of virtuosity regarding um, acting nice to people. Most people around them can't tell that they are shitty, but when it comes to people who are very astute in terms of discernment, some may say something about it to the right people, while others who don't have that discernment may keep it to themselves out of fear or not know what to do with the information. And sometimes people feel their fear and report anyway. It could be to people who can't help them and even to people to, who, who do, who are the right help for them. So that's, that's fucking real. And, and then it dawned on me that to really be in that damn world why the hell was I in that world that's it pisses me off to think about it those bastards but ass swipes okay let me get back so when I look back at that world I honestly think about how, like with police officers, they they are truly nice to people. The majority of the police officers are good cops. And when they're nice to people, it's genuine. So I've seen police officers dress according to their environment. They don't wear police uniform all the time. Um, like cr- some criminals, like the alleged badge man who murdered JFK, assassinated him, is, a, is what it said. That's very true. Sometimes they dress. They'll sometimes fool people. They'll pretend to be law enforcement agents with these false badges. Because that I've seen that happen in the organized crime world. I was forced to fucking be in. And then it dawned on me that being in that world... They sometimes dress the way they do criminals to make it hard to prosecute them for professional hits, which I saw sometimes. When police officers wear attire, it's to trick criminals so they can be prosecuted, which I've seen too. It's like, okay, I'm going to... I'm a police officer. I'm going to pretend to be addicted to heroin. I'm going to buy your heroin. And then I'm going to cooperate with my other colleagues who are in law enforcement. And that's how criminals go to jail. I've seen it. I've seen them being arrested the whole nine yards. So, and lastly, I was thinking about this when I was at the psych ward. 
I remember this clearly where um, a lot of people want to associate homosexuality criminality, which I think is fucked up and shitty to do. When the majority of people in the world, regardless of one's sexual orientation, one's identity, one's sex characteristics, are incapable of criminality. And that does include LGBTQI plus non-binary people. In the organized crime world I was in, there were um, LGBTQI plus gangsters. There were gay gangsters, bisexual gangsters, transgender gangsters, and lesbian gangsters. They, and non-binary gangsters, they were the most hardcore, more feared, more murderous, more violent than the cisgender heterosexual gangsters because of the fact that they were the most victimized by transphobia, homophobia, biphobia, lesbophobia, and queerphobia. You did have queer gangsters. They were the most violent murders and feared more than the cis-hetero gangsters because they were victims of queerphobia, lesbophobia, too. And... The LGBTQ plus gangsters robbed and beat and beat up people more than the cis hetero gangsters. And that's not an indictment on most LGBTQ plus people. I'm just talking about the particular world I was in. And the reason why that all happened was because of they were made to feel like the only place that I can be accepted is is the organized crime world. I can't be accepted in any other world, not even the religion, religion world. So these are the things I was thinking about in the psych ward. And one last thing, then I'll wrap up my psych ward story. Well, when I was at the psych ward, I, rem- I reminisced on the fact that... Um, there were people who um, were and, and you know those would be plus gangsters I mean to say they it was understood any form of street harassment. So let's say, I'll give you examples of that. So it was understood that if you made unwanted sexualized comments, provocative gestures, honking, wolf whistlings, indecent exposure, stalking, persistent sexual advances, and touching by strangers, if you did any of those things, you were quickly murdered by the LGBTQ plus gangsters. If you used homophobic, transphobic slurs and hateful comments, 
and did kissing noises, stares, and non-sexual explicit behavior, and stalking, flashing, grabbing, sexual assault, and rape. If you did any of those things to LGBT plus gangsters, you were quickly murdered by them. And people got the message real quick. You weren't allowed to clown their voice, their flamboyant look. Not all LGBT plus people dress flamboyantly, but if you were to clown them for how they looked, how they talked, their gestures, and anything about them, swift killings. And people learn very quickly not to fuck with them. And the cis-hetero gangsters envied them. Because in the cis-hetero gangsters mind, wow. You're, you're more of a badass than I am. So that's what happened in that world. Um, the cycle I started, I just remember in my head talking to my grandma. And she talked to me about... Um, The fact that I could be honest with her, she was basically saying we're going to have a woman-to-man conversation. You got to cuss it out, cuss it out. Be honest with me, be raw with me, be real with me, be rugged with me, be truthful with me, be factual with me. Don't censor yourself because I was starting to do that when I talked to her from my psych ward bed. And I told her about everything. My past you know, everything involving women, even the parts that I was ashamed of. We was crying together and she was wiping my tears, wiping her tears, wiping each other's snot. This is the grandma that went to a better place, hopefully. And uh, I just remember her presence. The times they shared with each other. told her, you know, if I get married again, I'm sorry, I was never married, um, and I told her at the time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to get married, and I said, if I do get married, you know, then you, you may not be here, and it hurt, and so she was telling me about, um, how much she really cared for me and about me and how much I meant to her. And she said to me that um, that she didn't want to leave me She tried to stay, but she said God wouldn't wouldn't keep her on earth. And so that was the tears we shed. And that was very healing to me to know that my grandma wanted to be around me as much as I wanted to be around her. And self-forgiveness is so beautiful. I experienced that. You know, I'm totally divorced from the psych ward past. 
So that's what happened to me in the psych ward world. Just leftover memories and um, thank you all for fucking listening to me because I fucking appreciate it.